0: Welcome to Lost Link, the podcast with Muff Barber and Yogi Nickerson, where CL data is disabled and no topic is off-limits about unmanned aircraft or the United States Air Force. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not represent the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other federal agency. This podcast contains some profane language and is not suitable for all audiences. From Pirates of the Caribbean
1: It's a good character uh, Jeffrey Rush
0: You better start believing in ghost oh, stories, yeah.
1: Miss Turner You're in one Yeah, that's actually pretty good Yeah. I practice that one a lot yeah. <laughs> That one just comes naturally I don't actually Yeah <laughs> But yeah, Yogi, Lost Link Once again, welcome
0: uh, This week I feel welcome, thank is you Is it week?
1: week bi-weekly we're, we're gonna do this bi-weekly i think we do it when we do it all right we do it when we do it uh keep the audience on the hook uh yeah, if you're not sailing for two weeks <laughs> it's the last week uh or last episode i should say uh <laughs> yeah.
0: we did it because i'm such a fucking loser you know i'll fucking be here right wow. so but like muff's got like a life and shit so <laughs> you know and like, a, like this thing called a family
1: I'm, i went sailing for one day out of all that but i was gone for a week Anyway, the last time we recorded, how about I miss that? you terribly. We yeah, uh, <laughs> we talked about RPA stories, um, or just stories in general, uh, and how we kind of lack quality and uh, emotional uh, RPA stories, or just stories from modern air power since basically the 90s,
0: right? Well, I think just stories in general, and then uh, we kind of dove into like. The, like the human elements of VCD, yeah. the technology yeah yeah
1: um it is worth noting we might have hinted at it in the last episode i don't know it was long enough ago that uh, i don't quite recall that human beings have been trying to do aviation without anybody at the controls essentially since the beginning of aviation um all right so for Everybody here should know this, at least relatively uh, close to these dates. Uh, Wilbur Wilbur and Orville Wright uh, started flying in 1972. Yeah, I'm close. Um, Damn it. Damn it. So it's 1903, right? At Kill Devil Hills, uh, North Carolina. Um,
0: I thought it was Kitty Hawk.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's Kitty Hawks, Kill Devil Hills. It's all basically the same thing. I mean, okay. We won't get into those specifics because that's not why we're here for. Very, very quick aside. Wilbur went first. Okay. No mustache. Crashed the airplane. Uh... Orville had a mustache and was the first one to record a successful flight of a sufficient
0: distance to qualify. I think everyone who has has the ability to grow a proper mustache and dons one understands why that's the case yeah well i figure it's,
1: it's it's kind of like a cat like early early airplane wilbur could not feel the subtle changes in the wind uh, <laughs> etc to like compensate <laughs> with the turns and stuff <laughs> whereas orville orville may have
0: right um so that just had big cojones that matched his mustache
1: <laughs> just something like that maybe um so that's 1903 right 14 years later So, I've been in the Air Force for 14 years. So, the beginning of my metaphorical Air Force career back then, right, up until now, they're already got, like, trying to fly airplanes with nobody in them. Uh, The first two, one's known as the Sperry Automatic Airplane, and the other one, in 1918, was the Kettering Bug. They're basically just flying torpedoes, but they have the, the shape of an airplane. They've got a motor, they've got, you know, biplane wings, and... Their job is to you know fly across the channel or something like that over Calais and or from behind you know British lines uh, and uh, France and then go over the over the trenches and as the motor dies it just pitches over and blows some shit up um, It's essentially a uh, ballistic missile of some sorts right um, or a flying torpedo as they were more commonly known as. Uh, and that's about the extent of it, you know. After the war, the whole thing kind of dies down. Aviation goes into barnstorming and doing all their little fun things, and it's really stories about pilots doing crazy, crazy things until uh, World War Two comes around, uh, and the German Germans, or I don't know, is it proper to say Germans? They yeah. were German, or do you say Nazis? Like, oh, do we try and differentiate? No, no. All right, the Germans currently being flown by or uh, led by the nazis uh developed a v1 flying bomb it goes into uh you know basically the battle of britain actually is germans
0: is probably more technically correct because the germans as a whole in that context is like the nazis were not everybody yeah like, they, they were, were basically like, the political power like, controlling it right? right but it'd be like not everybody in the military was like strictly nazi right yeah or, or
1: so the germans built this airplane and the nazis directed it to go fly into london right something like that cool so the v1 flying bomb is another uh unmanned airplane at that time traditional fixed wing uh sort of deal with a little pulse jet deal going on on the back and flying into london engine dies and boop dips over i'm gonna pour me some
0: proper (laughs) 12
1: so then they follow that up with the v2 but this time it's the v2 rocket it's not called a flying bomb anymore um and the v2 is relatively successful because it's going much much faster whereas the v1 was easy more easily shot down because it's more like a flying airplane uh, going at about the speed that uh british hurricanes and spitfires and things like that are flying at right and they've got tactics and technique, so not terribly uh successful, but definitely scary, right? Achieving a, a particular element of a you know, storytelling element there, uh, inducing the fear uh that this seemingly, you know uncontrolled, uh inhumane flying bomb in this rocket is able to bring to the people, the good people of London. Um Considerably lesser known though uh, During From World War 2 Is Operation Aphrodite uh, America's first serious attempt To at fly airplanes remotely Pretty good story You know a bit
0: about that right? Yes in fact I do Muff Thank you Uh <laughs> Um, what could you tell us about that? Yeah, so we got like the V1 and the V2, right? And um, coming out of the German, the Z Germans. But uh, during Operation Avalanche, um, which is the Allied invasion of Salerno, Italy, that's when the Allies really first encountered German drones for the first time. Oh, the Germans and, were flying real drones? Yeah. And it was called the Fritz X. It was 11 feet long. It had four stubby wings. And it carried 705 pounds of amatol explosive in an armor-piercing warhead. Um, and it had an operational range of a whole three miles. <laughs> so, um, but what it could do is it how could are, reach a speed of 770 miles per hour, uh, which is the fastest of any aircraft. How were the they day. launching it? Do you know? No. I mean, I presume it was
1: just dropping off of an airplane or something. If it only could go three miles.
0: So a a doe 217 which was like a mid-range bomber yeah dropped it dornier. from dornier dornier yeah dropped it from uh one eight thousand seven hundred feet mm. and then it gunners very specific and then they flew these into they flew these into ships and they did this multiple times actually pretty damn successfully so this is like a another flank flying, flying torpedo thing yeah, yeah yeah but they did this pretty damn successfully so uh The USS Savannah got hit by one of these, killed 197 sailors, wounded 15 more, barely made it back to port. It was actually pretty kind of epic, the remaining, the the surviving crew, right? Like having to like limp this ship back to port Uh, in Malta. After the Fritz X, yeah. Yeah. Um, It got dropped against the USS Philadelphia cruiser and then a couple British ships. So, this is the context for Operation Aphrodite, where the United States brass is like, oh, shit. Like, this is important. The Germans are way ahead of us. They're fucking our shit up over the course of a couple months here, (laughs) right, with this thing. Like, this blisteringly fast... You know, drone essentially that like they couldn't even shoot down. Like so, sure. on these ships, they're trying to hit them with their flat guns, and they're just completely missing, right? Because it's it's going almost it's too fast, close to a thousand miles per hour. Yeah, right? yeah. or IVO, a thousand miles per hour. What'd you say? Seven hundred something. Seven
1: hundred seventy. Yeah. So at I mean, at sea level, that's supersonic. Yeah. 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 So the it's things it's pretty fucking fast. Yeah. So they can't. Sh- they ha- yeah can't really shoot. It can't down. Slew fast enough.
0: Yeah. And they're yeah. like. Our brass knew that we were probably ahead in the nuclear race, right? But in general, right, German tech was frightening, right? Panzers yeah. and all this other stuff was way better. They had the V3 was being developed, which was this giant... Is that the big gun? The big gun, yeah, yeah, yeah that we ultimately, like, bombed. Yeah. Or the British bombed, and then we double-tapped it, or tried to double-tap it with, uh, with actually, Operation Aphrodite, which we'll get to. But the... Uh, um tanks were better, right? They're they're launching jets and fucking yeah. drones at yeah, us. M262s. And, and and we think we have a good ace up our sleeve with the nuke. Then we're and that we're for and we're confident that we're farther along. But in general, pretty fucking concerned that they're advancing and exploring successfully these uh these other advances in, in air power and technology. Yeah. Um in ways that like the u.s was not at the time it yeah, was, was was lagging far behind right that's
1: the that's where the like in the right stuff they have this debate over well their Germ- our germans are better than their germans because uh, everybody was after the german scientists at the end of the the war yeah because they believed them to be so far ahead uh and playing around with all kinds of weird stuff that
0: americans just weren't yes get us our get warner von braun the fuck over here right? yeah yeah um so the U.S. was like, yo, let's dial this up. We're going to call it Operation Aphrodite. We're going to have our own damn drones, right? And we're going to try to do something similar. So they're like, what if we stuff an unmanned bomber, a.k.a. a war-weary, something that's been to combat and we can't really send it out with uh, to do the normal B-17 thing? What if we take these old B-17s that are doomed for the scrapyard? Um, we stuff them full of explosives and we radio control them with, like, Another bomber behind it, flying behind it, right? Yeah, or like a Catalina, yeah, or yeah. some some other. Oh, the Catalina is a great airplane. PBY, yeah, yeah, I love that plane. My dad actually, my dad loves that plane. Um, yeah, anyway. Landed anywhere, yeah, I. Uh, it was one of like the first planes that I ever knew I could like talk about it, like when I was a kid, because yeah. like my dad was into remote control airplanes and World War Two aviation, yeah. So I learned a lot about the different planes and the the Catalina was one that I learned really early on. I liked saying it as a kid. And so my dad usually brings that up when he's talking about me as a kid. Yeah. And it like, the, oh, the Catalina, like, you to say that. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, at I this point, said, see said. yourself drinking a martini in one, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, cool. So anyway, Operation Aphrodite, like, let's load these B-17s up. Let's have some sort of chase aircraft. Let's have mosquitoes, which are, in my opinion, Actually, one of the coolest planes from World War Two, yeah, is the Mosquito, the De Havilland Mosquito from the British. But um, sorry Mustang fans, but the um, sorry Spitfire fans, yeah, no, it's the the Allwood wood Mos- the Allwood De Havilland Mosquito is the shit. All right, but the um, with mosquitoes, kind of as the camera plane because they have rudimentary TVs and cameras that they could project to control these b-17s yeah. and control from the cockpit yeah so like a nose cam yeah right and then we're gonna fly these things and we're gonna just fucking crash them kamikaze style into the target right but from remote control yeah so how much,
1: what kind of because a standard like b-17 or b-24 couldn't carry that much right as far as like explosive uh, yeah it was about
0: double like, what they would do as, like, a, when they are being used in like, normal manned use. Yeah. Was and that they would load it up with about double the explosives. And I think the B-2 could carry
1: the same weight in ordnance now that the entire, like, B-17 weighed airplane, crew, and bombs. Like, we've definitely come a long way. Sure. So I could see, like, why they, need, they needed to
0: plus up because each of these B-17s was on its own kind of weak yeah but they basically doubled the payload from what it could like normally carry um and overstuffed it essentially yeah, yeah. for what it could do unfortunately they found out that they could not do this with like a uh remote control takeoff or landing which as we're finding <laughs> out uh we're finally getting around to a atlc right but uh Um, just, just, just the other day. Right. So, right. But, um, getting some demos of that, but, uh, so what they had to do is they had to put two poor chaps in there who would take the plane off, get it above 2000 feet AGL, do handover with the chase plane, which was going to control it via remote control and then arm the bombs. And then they had to bail out. And so this was the plan, right? We're going to take this thing off with dudes in it. Have them um, turn the bombs on. 12,000 pounds of explosive. Yeah. Jump the fuck out of the B-17, bail out, and then we're going to fly this by remote control, and it's going to be sweet. <laughs> and we're going <laughs> to crash this B-17 to the target. It's going to be sweet. Um, did not end up working out so great in practice. Um, so I think only one of the missions that they ever ran like actually even came close to really hitting its target yeah so the first time they launched it the plane just like circled around they couldn't actually get link with it as we really would say <laughs> today they couldn't actually get link with the b-17 yeah and it just circled around and just crashed somewhere um over merry old england yeah uh, i think in the, the channel or something oh, okay. time. but um they had a couple issues where like dudes bailed out And, like, their chutes didn't deploy or they built it too early and just bug splatted. So there was, like, attrition just because of that. Um, They had a bunch where, like, they couldn't guide it properly, like, through the weather. And then they ended up just, like, missing the target. Um, I think one of the B-17s that they launched, they launched maybe, like, they launched them, I think, about four at a time at most. Yeah. And... um, So this was what point in the war? I think 40... Four,
1: yeah, 45 so still kind of late. late in the war, yeah, yeah. And what um, kind of targets are they going after?
0: They're going after initially like bunkers and stuff, and yeah. then it was determined that, um, to try to get penetration with this bigger payload, yeah, and it was determined that that, that wouldn't work, so then they're going after like logistics and factories and things like that. That yeah, was softer, you, should, targets. you probably need a uh, you know delayed fusing and stuff like that to
1: really be effective against thick concrete like we have now, um, yeah. Uh, submarine pens. Sure. I think it was one of
0: them. And two rocket sites. I can pull it up, bro.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> not critical
0: with the, wow, well, apparently it is. You're asking me about
1: it. All right. Well, bro, let's just flesh this story out then. <laughs>
0: um, cool. Uh, yeah, so the first one, it, it spun out of control when they tried to get Link with it, which similarly, if we go into a spin, we're, we're fucked. Oh, yeah. But, um, so that was to strike the V3, oh, the, okay. the super V3, gun. Yep. Um, they didn't already know that the, uh, the British had already taken it out, so they had tried to do it with this, like double tap it after the fact, essentially, yeah. but they didn't, you know, the British and the Americans weren't talking to each other. No, they didn't have a combined...
1: Air Operations Center? No, no.
0: Just jerking off the joint model, I guess. <laughs> um, we will talk about that someday on the podcast. It has problems. It's not. It's not the silver bullet for all Correct. things. It does not, and, and it's not like it doesn't have second and third order effects, deleterious effects that are going to cause issues. So, <laughs> so we need a lot of bombs. Basically, we
1: need a lot of bombs to go hit these difficult targets. That, you know, if attempted. I'm thinking submarine pens, V3, uh, probably some V2 sites. Cause all this shit is going
0: on underground. So they need to bring in some just yeah, bigger, bigger the, can of whoop-ass. The Hegeland U-Boat pens. Okay. They tried to hit them multiple times. On the first time, the uh, the controller flew it into the wrong target by mistake. <laughs> and the second time, got hit by flat, crashed in the sea. Okay. Um although and the, they try, actually they tried for the Helegal and U boat pens another three times actually after that. <laughs> so they kept trying for these <laughs> fucking tanks. And it kept not working out. Uh ultimately after the final time they concluded that the BQ seven, which is what the B seventeens were designated as when they were pulled into Operation Aphrodite. Yeah. Um was not successful against "Quote unquote hard targets," so gotcha. So they, they transitioned to softer. Yeah, yeah. Although, shortly thereafter was the uh, oh no, even before that was when Joseph Kennedy, the elder brother of John F. Kennedy, the Chad football playing, rugby playing, yeah, star apple of his father's eye who his father at birth said was going to be president the next, you know, the first Irish Catholic president of the United States blew up doing this mission because he was one of those brave souls taking these BQ sevens off. Um, and they flipped this, they got above 2000 feet AGL, flipped the switch to arm all the explosives. And then before they could bail out, everything exploded in a, fireball doom yeah yeah instantaneously just uh, you know just blinked them out of existence in fact there was an interesting quote i read about it where um one of the villagers on the ground because it sprayed debris and ash and fire um damaged like 150 homes like no one was hurt (laughs) but um over england um and it looked like octopus tendrils like coming down with all the smoke with just the sheer amount of explosives yeah. in the sky. And following down like the engines and all those other things. Right. It looked like an octopus in the sky. That's cool. I wish um, I would have had a. I wonder if there's a picture of that. Yeah. But
1: So that's forty five? Yeah. 44, 45? Yeah. Seems kind of a forty four. Gotcha. Seems like a I don't know a waste because their father was the ambassador to England. Mm-hmm. I mean during the, you know uh, during World War Two, pretty big fucking deal. Although is it? Do you think it is? Is that a big deal when you when you're fighting a war and you're like every general and everybody else and everybody is talking to everybody? You're not really like going through ambassadors. No, Usually like open
0: open lines between. <laughs> no, it's basically a big deal because of the you know it shaped the way that that political family like ultimately played its cards right yeah. so like then they transitioned all their resources like joe was better looking more athletic more charisma healthier healthier than john right and yeah. and was definitely the favorite of the father um, for for that task certainly and um right would it have likely been pushed for president and likely oh, would have course. been successful right um. So, like, the U.S. presidential history, U.S. history, at least in the 20th century, mid-20th century, uh, was forever altered by, by Operation Aphrodite and by, essentially, RPAs. Which is kind of
1: silly. Um, so, I, I just looked it up. Joseph, Joe... Uh, he was a junior, right? I think the their father was Joseph P. Kennedy, and then yes, okay. So definitely, like, like as
0: you said, the, the apple of this guy's eye. Um, you know, at birth, he told, like, as he came out, was like, he's going to be the you know first Irish Catholic president of the United States. Yeah, I wonder. Uh-huh. I mean, besides the. Hubris of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, he must have, uh, Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. must have been in a pretty decent position. You don't even know
0: if he, you know, that little kid can put a, you know, put together his Tinker toys. Right. right, You know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, we all think great things of our children. Um, The, I just looked it up. Joe was born two years prior to John. Mm. So, like. Initially, I thought there would have been like a bigger gap between them. I'm curious if if Joe had survived, if he would have gotten into politics sooner than John did, uh, because John F. Kennedy has his own, you know, World War II uh, story, right? As a PT boat captain or yeah. something like that. Um, yeah, you can go into a, a crazy counterfactual rabbit hole right so if they get into politics sooner and you know joseph becomes a you know senator or congressman from massachusetts and then you know a couple years later uh starts running for the presidency blah 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 maybe he gets in and i think was an election in 60 so 56 maybe right um i'm just curious like how much faster that would have happened uh, cause if you get away from the, the turbulence of the sixties and you get into that role sooner, like the Kennedys would probably be even, even bigger family today than they are. Cause I mean, they've, they've had a fucking shit run of luck, right? <laughs> True. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All the way to, uh, John F. Kennedy jr. Uh, but Vizzard, the moment but... makes the man, right? Like if you're gliding over the fifties, you know, Korean war, notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, Kennedy's presidency is considered you know one of the more notable presidencies of like those several decades like because of the things that were happening and the turbulence of that time yeah right. he was voted in um, in 1960 yeah it was one of the even years I'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, um, I'll tell you that motherfucker Divided you could divide it by four yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I guarantee it I, <laughs> um but what I think is interesting about Operation Aphrodite, besides like that kind of... That's an interesting counterfactual silly shit. Yeah, yeah. But look. Well, first off, it's kind of funny. The Germans were pulling some shit off. And then ours was pretty much a big fucking flop. Like, every mission they ran. Yeah. Like, almost to a T was unsuccessful. Right. Until eventually General Tui Spatz was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Well, they've got... Uh, so, navigation problems, right? Yeah.
1: Because uh, they're trying to go a much longer distance than this Fritz X. Yeah. Yeah, uh, with a range of three fucking miles or whatever. Yeah. it's basically just a, a flying missile that probably just had, like, a little... Shooting for the stars a little, a little sonar thing that just, like, pinged off the top of the water to keep its altitude, right, to go mm-hmm. into the side of a boat. Um. But they're having to go considerably further. Because, I mean, that's a... That Fritz X is chasing after much smaller targets uh, and just trying to put a hole in the side of a boat. And yeah. We're, we're trying to take out... Big fucking targets, right? Yeah. That, so uh, the hardest The I
0: scale hit. and the ambition was a lot more aggressive. Yeah. Um, and
1: they're also trying to do this at a time. America. Be- before <laughs> trying to do this at a time before computers, That's right? Right. The Germans. So, have you ever turned SAS off on the MQ9? No. <laughs> it can be done, right? It, it It can be. You're right. It can be done. Um, we should not do so. I have also never turned it off. However, oh, this is this is Muff Barber talking, <laughs> guys. <laughs> He's pl- t- not turned it off. There are plenty of people that have turned a sweet. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of people uh, from other parts of the community that've flown up real high, turned it off just for shits and grins. But patrol the airplane is dramatically different, and I think this is one of the reasons that they had such a dri- difficult time just keeping the fucking airplane airborne right um when we turn SAS off it reverts to flying like a normal airplane right cuz right now we just command hey i want 25 degrees of bank the airplane says you got 25 degrees of bank and it manages that right so we're not telling it to roll we're telling it how far to roll to and then it rolls at that rate and there's there's a sure. a rate change and yeah. uh that we can control um But clearly, they didn't have this in 1944. Yeah. So, uh, a friend of mine—friend, hey. strong word—2010. Um, friend of me? No, not even just just some girl in the squadron. Um, okay. She deploys to Iraq and goes to Balad and tries to launch. Or she's doing MQ ones and. There are a lot of things that she's doing wrong. You listen to some of the tapes, and they're doing like voices, and you know, <laughs> like like your voices at the beginning of this, uh, screwing around. Um, oh. Captain Barbosa. <laughs> yeah, right. So imagine trying to do all of your launch procedures in Captain Barbosa's face or uh, his voice. Right. So they're doing this in the cockpit, and it wasn't a cockpit. The the system it is set. <laughs> Laser arm quad ones. It was a uh, <laughs> autopilot. Will be who gives a fuck. It was payload ground, to you sensor r- ground control station. Uh, at the time, um, she ended up doing like a three sixty on a taxiway, like almost on accident. Just not paying attention.
0: Just I I don't know. It sounds like the equivalent of my favorite little chestnut, where pilots turn their whole body to oh, talk sideways. to the sensor yeah. operator and like their whole torso. Their hips are facing
1: They're leaning on their right shoulder just yeah guess. And they're,
0: the they're like yeah. yeah, they're lean like yeah, and they're just like their legs are not under the control station they're facing over. And then they're like, you know, flying with heading hold, like while they're doing this, just talking yeah. to the sensor it Sounds something like that.
1: She back in that back in that time, uh SAS, or Stability
0: Augmentation System. That's not my favorite thing, by the way. It's like a major fucking pet peeve, by the way. All right, continue. The SAS (laughs) did not default to on. Oh, is it like an earlier software thing? Yeah, this is
1: 100-series software or something for the the MQ1. It's different.
0: The caveman days. Yeah, and at this
1: time, this was probably before the MQ1 had all the, like, colorful graphics on the HUD. It was still all green graphics and... Things like that. All right. (laughs) Hey, I was flying them at that time too. Um, I wasn't. She. I'm a worm. She launched the airplane. So, SAS, like, you check it like three times during launch procedures. But (laughs) she was using a cheater, like, shortcut checklist thing, right? So, not following the, the guidance out of the TOs. Okay. She successfully launched an MQ1.
0: With well, oh.
1: with the sass off, damn. So it took off. She's climbing out, and you can see it start to like oscillate. Because this is what you're doing, right? As you, if you, if you bump it, and you give it a little. Hey, turn left. You know, hey, come. you' if the sass is on, you're like, hey, come. You know, give me five degrees of bank. Well, in her case, she's commanding a roll rate. All right. So if you, you went to pilot training. Um, okay. If you remember to execute a, a turn or whatever you would rip it over right get to the angle of bank that you wanted and then you would recenter the stick and pull
0: yeah right? and you're still in the bank right and you stay in that bank right yeah. um you have to command it the opposite way to, correct. To go back to and this
1: it. is what the mq1 and the mq9 will do if you turn SAS off right so you're you're commanding basically a roll rate and you have to reverse it to the other side not just go back to center to bring the, the airplane back to level right this is how SAS works here uh, in the MQ-9. Anyway, I am sure the SAS on the F-16 is different. But uh, point is, she did crash it. <laughs> she had her one or two missiles on board, uh, got out like, I don't know, 1500 feet or something, and the airplane's oscillating back and forth, oscillating back and forth, it's kind of growing. She's thinking it's a crosswind thing. You can hear her say, oh, that's just crosswinds uh, on the tape. And then next thing you know, it just rolls like completely over in the last image of the video is at like 120 degrees of bank. Right. The the fuckers upside down. And uh, she calls, she apparently calls Tower and tells him that uh, she's lost sync with her airplane. (laughs) Mind you, the last last HUD, the last image on the HUD, it's fucking upside down so she says that she's lost link and they uh they say they saw it crash outside the wire and by the time anybody got to it both of the missiles are gone oh, you know all the,
0: all the all the first responders
1: yeah so undoubtedly there is you know two roadside bombs somewhere um, that were made out of that were made fires. out of out of that stuff and she was quickly sent home after that but point is you can fly an airplane with the sas off it's really fucking difficult. And these guys find these B 17s and B 24 liberators and these BQ sevens didn't have SAS. So I suspect to a small degree, they had issues controlling at least the early ones that like kind of spun out of control and crashed into the, into the channel is based on that. And it's a, it's a fundamental problem when you're not in the fucking airplane. Yeah. Right. And you can see like why we don't turn it off. It's just fucking on. Like, if any of you out there have uh, actually turned sass off, let us know. I want to hear that story. It's probably not very engaging, but. Um, yeah, I've done it in the sim. <laughs> yeah, and nobody thinks the sim does it correctly. Yeah, uh, it can be done in the sim if you do it like individually and in the right order. But uh, yeah, I like seeing like the co- connecting. Little pieces from that history there to now, and like starting to understand like how those things link and connect.
0: Well, no, that was great, but it just drives home the point that they were the Germans and the U.S. like recognized like in World War II, yep, like that we want to do this. Yeah, right? I don't want. I don't want to fly somebody over top of london and get shot down if i don't have to yeah so the impetus for the rpa for remote aircraft and remote air power was in it like essentially from the almost the beginning right, right. like our second very major very war with it, right yeah people were trying to do this now it was pretty fucking hard it didn't really work that well or mm-hmm. in the case of like the where the germans had some moderate success and so very limited in scope right yeah. um well, don't they, forget,
1: like I said, they've tried to do it in 1917 and 18, like 15 yeah. years after the yeah. first
0: flight, right? But there's, so there's nothing with the MQ-9 and the MQ-1, there's nothing like new, where like this, this one-off weird thing happened that's right. that's degrading to air power, and like like we said last time, we've got real air power on this side of history, and then this weird RPA thing, this commoditized RPA thing on the other side of history. Yeah. People have been trying to commoditize this shit since the word, you know, since the jump, right? Yeah. And And um, that's what I think is particularly useful about the Operation it's Like, It's not just the U.S. It wasn't just the Germans doing weird stuff. It was a mutual understanding of like, hey, this this is, could be, this is desirable. Let's yeah. see if we can do it. It's kind of like, eh, well. And I'll little, bet you A that- little bit, but we can't really pull it off right now. But everybody understood at that point that this is where it was going and yeah. that we needed to go there it's just that they couldn't do it at the time i bet you the japanese would have done it too
1: like their version of that was you yeah. know stuff guy in airplane and fly into the side of wow well, yeah carrier right yeah uh, and their desperation moves but they had been, if they had been able to do that with some sort of uh unmanned airplane sure. uh, they would have done so right sure. yeah despite uh, bushido and all that all that nonsense they would have taken the man out of the airplane in an instant. Yeah. Um, so what's next? So, uh, Aphrodite's killed in nineteen forty-five. Um, like the the operations ended. Yeah. In nineteen forty-five. General Spatz, um, no mas. So speaking of generals, um, Hap Arnold. Hap. Do you remember his quote? At all, was he? Wasn't he your? Uh, he was my exemplary. exemplar. Yes. Do You remember what? Uh, so that you have a quote. He, oh, he has a great quote. Um, I don't remember that particular one. I can do so, some others if you would like from the nope, I don't want to. I mean, sure, go nuts. But uh, <laughs> um, so Hap Arnold uh, at the end of the war. I'm sure he's got a lot of quotes. Yeah, he's got undoubtedly uh, yeah, a shitload. Let me pull this up here so I can make this.
0: Uh, here, let me break out my. Accurate. Let me let's, break up my. Let me first. break out my contrails, and, then I'm, real and quick. then I'm
1: going to stun you with this quote. No, I don't got nothing. What? Use your exemplar, and you can't find it. I don't care. <laughs> All right. So here's the quote. <laughs> Startling <laughs> prediction from Hap Arnold. <laughs> uh, so at the end of World War Two, he makes. Uh, This quote, We have just won a war with a lot of heroes flying around in airplanes. The next war may be fought by airplanes, with no men in them at all. Take everything you've learned about aviation and war, throw it out the window, and let's go to work on tomorrow's aviation. It will be different from anything the world has ever seen.
0: Yeah, that's not in contrails.
1: It sounds pretty prescient, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But why would it be in contrails? Because it's about airplanes with nobody in them. Yeah, (laughs) it's not exciting. It's well, that's fuck that for the engineers. It is (laughs) for engineers. It's very exciting. Um, But that is. It sounds very prescient. True. Yeah. He's probably talking about V ones and V twos and you know ballistic missiles and you know something more akin to that
0: because we're yeah he's talking about inner ICBMs yeah yeah Dr. Strange loves shit and shit man
1: that happened right yeah like the world was you know hanging by on a I don't know hanging by a thread with all these ICBMs pointed at everything and that was all going to be unmanned bombers essentially That's, that's what the
0: ICBMs are Well, I think you usually make the great point, or you have, and I've heard it before, that uh, ICBMs are really RPAs, right? Yeah, single purpose. Yeah. But, like, unmanned aircraft, I mean, it an aircraft, it's it's unmanned. It's It's like, we don't don't think about it, we don't tend to lump it in with those other things, but it it is, in fact. Yeah, it's got wings, it's got, you know... Right, it's but like unmanned aviation, yeah. like you start lumping in missiles and ICBMs and how much the manned aircraft has been getting dogged by this shit, yeah. right? Like They're getting hammered. Yeah. Uh, and that particularly started like getting yeah. big in,
1: uh, what, Vietnam, right? Because the 50s and uh, war in Korea was largely a story of, you know, Sabres F-80s and sabers. Super Sabres. Yeah, and then then fighting with the, the MiG-15s and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: very cool planes. Yeah.
1: Great, great airplanes. Very like emotional. Like that like that. That kind of gets you.
0: They have this kind of in like the jets of the fifties have this kind of uh industrial quality to them <laughs> that no that I just it just screams to me like classic era like that classic jet yep. era aviation like there's just something about those planes they all look uh, like they're cousins right like yeah. and they all like big fucking steam ga- like gauges yeah, and yeah. stuff and like like silver bodies like the although that all the shooting star that yeah that all metal silver bodies mm-hmm. sexy. like there was like the shooting star and all this other stuff yeah. too like the you know no I love those planes those are awesome yeah. but anyway they are awesome it's
1: hard to it's hard to fall in love with a carbon with carbon fiber. Um yeah, to the same degree. Uh but basically I mean airplanes like kind of fall off during the 50s. The technology is not there as evidenced by uh, the success or lack thereof of operation Aphrodite, right? Lack thereof. Yeah, lack thereof for sure. Um but uh, since you're talking about jet fighters, the Air Force commissions uh, this Ryan Aeronautical Company in 1951 to create this thing called. Uh, they, need, they need a target drone, and so Ryan uh, creates this thing called the Firebee. The initial versions of this target drone, painted orange, yeah, you know, kind of ugly shit. but it's basically an engine with some wings on it, and it goes out and it flies. You know, basically INS only. And you can probably pro- you can program it with some basic maneuvering and things like that, so that uh, these guys flying flying their F eighty sixes and uh, things like that can have a jet powered target to go chase after. that's actually faster, and you know can cross their flight path at the rate that say a uh, MiG fifteen or something would. So they create this thing, uh, and they I don't know do what you do with target drones you go and you shoot them up and things like that they were undoubtedly probably used over here at Wismer uh, fucking robots yeah with the, <laughs> called, <laughs> what are they good for So, <laughs> undoubtedly they used them here at Wismer um, in you know attempts to try and you know build American surface air missiles and things like that right uh, they need something to shoot You're
0: at saying there was RPA genocide here at Wismer <laughs> <laughs> indeed um, so that's 51
1: right um, fast forward to you know the start of Vietnam uh, early 60s um, I think the first like we started sending dudes over to uh, one of those special operators uh, say that they do they go over there and they like train foreign militaries I don't remember what the it's like internal defense or training and equip or No, 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 that's one of the soft mission sets. Um, There's a lot of them, and we're not in special operations. So, uh, basically, we send some special ops dudes over there, right? And the war starts to escalate, like all wars do. And by 1962, the Russians have sold a significant number of uh, SA-2s to North Vietnam, and North Vietnam... Uh, the North Vietnamese Army, that's probably the army running these things, as doing some damage to all the airplanes that we've got flying over uh, over top, in there. killing a lot of our guys, capturing a number of them, you know, turning them into political prisoners, etc., right? So, this is clearly a problem. Uh, the SA-2, obviously one of the earliest surface air missile systems based on the fact that it's got the number 2. Sure. Does anybody ever hear about the SA-1? I have no idea what the SA-1 is. No. <laughs> so basically think of the SA-2 as the first uh, operationally successful surface-to-air missile, right? Um, nobody really knows how it works. You mean back then? Yeah.
0: No one knew how it worked. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um. And so they desperately had to try and figure this out. Um, so that either means I put a dude in an airplane... With a whole bunch of radio gear and shit like that, that's like trying to intercept uh, any radio signals that are associated with it. But that dude then has to like outmaneuver the fuck out of this sa two, and clearly, that's not working out because they're (laughs) shooting down a lot of us, right? So, so so they've got to come up with something, uh, some means, or they want to come up with some means to to detect this thing and learn more about it. And so they contract this Ryan company, uh, and they Firebee target drones, and they create this kind of thing. a lame name. Firebee? Yeah. Meh. And I don't know. They painted orange. It looks like it's on fire. It's all right. Whatever. It's, it's the fucking 50s and the early 60s, right? Yeah. So they bring this thing on board, <laughs> and they start stuffing some packages into it, uh, like ELINT packages, some of the early... Uh, early versions of that type of stuff and it's just up there yeah. sniffing right um, so the Firebee uh, quick quick backtrack uh, is launched it's mounted onto the the wing of some other carrier airplane uh, most traditionally it is the C-130 or the DC-130
0: uh, my grandfather flew those in Vietnam as well as Buffs really? yeah nice a DC 130 or a C 130? C 130. Okay. The, well, he didn't fly. He's a navigator. But, Yeah, whatever. Navigator Bombardier, which was a career field back then. Yeah. The combined career field. Yeah. Boss? Rolling Thunder. He's in it. <laughs> Rival
1: right, well, big ups. Yeah. Uh, to your grandfather? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Walter um, Nickerson. So they put all these ELINT packages on these target drones. And they fucking send those motherfuckers into North Vietnam. Because who wants to do this wild weasel mission before there are wild weasels? Yeah. Nobody. Fucking nobody, right? Um, Eventually, the wild weasels are born during Vietnam in an attempt to go kill these SA-2 sites. But it's unmanned aviation that is actually getting in there and getting the intelligence that they need To be able to jam the things and you know conduct seed missions and things like that, so basically, it would start by sending these uh, these target drones in there. And at this time, they've like splintered off into something called a ah, fuck. I want to say Firefly. Um, I think this is happening under Operation Firefly, or like basically the project name, right? Um, But they're basically loading these Ryan Firebees with these alien packages and flying them towards known SAM sites with the intent of having these missiles shot up at it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The SA-2 is a command guidance missile, right? So it receives radio traffic from the ground, directing it go up this many degrees, down this many degrees, turn left this many degrees, right? So they're seeking that information like what does that signal look like and this is a time before encryption was like a big thing and uh so all this stuff's in the clear and it's ryan Firebees doing a number of these missions that are basically they picked up all this traffic and immediately retransmit it out to an airplane uh out over probably the mother aircraft before day. the fire bee uh
0: gets uh oh yeah it, you takes, know, yeah
1: it takes it take takes it on the chin. <laughs> yeah, it takes it on the chin. Right. <laughs> um but it's transmitting all this stuff and we're capturing it in these DC one thirties or uh whatever other carrier airplane uh, Launched launch the thing. And using that information we're able to create the first radar warning receivers. Because now we know what that shit looks like. We know yeah. what those signals, what frequencies are operating. It's a big on.
0: fucking deal. That's a huge fucking deal. Um, and they kept doing it, like they thought they had an offset, but <laughs> turns
1: out, yeah, it turns out you can catch up real quick, right? So <laughs> the so they, uh, so they keep they keep doing these missions, um, and they keep programming in like, okay, on this next one, like it would be nice if we didn't get shot down. So let's let's try and get. So they're trying to determine like proximity fusing and all that. Yeah, fun like stuff. everything related to it, right? Yeah. Um, and so they. They kept changing the logic on them to like, okay, when you get this this particular signal, when you hear this one, hard jink, you know, just boom, dive, uh, and you know, away from that missile or whatever else. And supposedly, there's uh, at least one tail, one of these firebees, evaded ten fucking missiles in a in a single sortie before getting shot down.
0: <laughs> the legend firebee, dude, dude, the the the. Yeah. That that one deserves to go to RPA Valhalla. Hell yeah, it does.
1: Um, There's a (laughs) there are videos you can watch on YouTube of F-16 pilots or pilots from uh, the first Gulf War, and they're evading. You can hear it's like HUD tape, and you can hear they've got like five missiles airborne uh, that the Iraqis are shooting at them. And listening to to those guys like G strain, and you hear the panic in their voice, and their wingmen are talking to them, things like that. Like since I've seen those videos and I hear this story of these uh, fire bees like evading uh, yeah. all these missiles, I immediately like transpose and I uh, project onto the fire bee, you know, its own thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's out there like oh fuck, oh fuck, <laughs> <laughs> woo. You know, it picks up its its track again and it's out there. I'm per- personification. I'm personifying yeah, this yeah. inanimate object, right? Yeah. Um, brute, but dude, that thing was a badass, and so that's the beginnings of like. Real elint, as we know it now, right? It existed in the past of just like, you know, picking up transmissions and, you know, doing shit with it. But so that's not exactly new. But as it as it applies to aviation and air power, unmanned airplanes are at the at the fucking forefront. Yeah, they're the first ones to go in there. And this reminds me of so twenty seventeen, maybe twenty seventeen. Yeah. Uh, we're flying in uh, country X, we'll say. Uh, okay. We could probably say it. Syria? Yeah. yeah, all right. We'll look that up. If we can't if we can't say that we'll
0: edit that out. Um, but basically we're flying over Syria. Muff's okay with that because I do the editing, so he's like <laughs> Yeah, like, we'll just edit it and you, like, you do okay, that work. I'll, I'll fucking listen to this whole thing and find all the all,
1: all the shit the... parts here yeah. take take <laughs> notes. Uh point <laughs> one point zero no, seven. Alright, all, good. Right. You're all good. right, cool. You're good. Um right. And the navy, a pair of F eighteens, <laughs> shoot down a Syrian jet. Do you remember that? Yes. Big fucking deal. Huge fucking deal. Yeah. They pulled all of the manned airplanes out. Yeah. Then just did caps like Way far away with the F twenty. Yeah, outside of all the the threat rings and things like that, who was flying around inside of those, John? We were. The fuck yeah, we were. MQ nines were stacked. Dude, it was th- great. We just
0: all the fucking strikes. Yeah, we
1: were running the show. Yeah, we were running the show, and that's the next thing to like take away from this is that when when shit gets bad, you can send in an unmanned airplane. Sure. As
0: evident, and people do that, as evidenced yeah. by yeah.
1: By I mean, as far back as sixty two while we're chasing down these uh SA twos, right? You know, all the way up until now. Like it's 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 a continuous threat and it's a it's a wonderful attribute of unmanned aviation and why we have to have it. You can you can do things when you don't have uh the same level of risk. Right? So I won't go into the to the rest of like what the Firebee did during Vietnam, it's pretty fucking badass. Uh, some of the are you familiar with the Sante prison raid? Nope this is a a prison in mm-hmm. Vietnam uh, where they're keeping down to fighter pilots and things like that right Kind of like think of it as a feeder system or the uh, the uh, minor leagues to the Hanoi Hilton right okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. okay. So they're, they're shooting these dudes down. They're stuffing them. Double in. A. Yeah. <laughs> made to stuffing fight. them in these prisons. We
0: made it to the majors. <laughs>
1: and they were trying to get uh, imagery of this so they could go raid it with, you know, MH-53s or whatever and kind of do, you know, get in there and capture these. get Kill all the Vietnamese. Save the Americans. Put them on these helicopters and exfil them, right? Ryan Fireby's got the first... Imagery, of those things. Now the problem with the fire b is that it's INS only, and INS degrades if you don't like update it. Right? That's why most modern airplanes have GPS INS systems. Yeah. Uh, that update based upon the GPS to know where they are. So we like to think that we're flying around on GPS systems, but that's just an update to the INS. Yeah. Right. Uh, same with most of our weapons.
0: GPS aided INS munitions. Um, like, so, yeah, how long does the the TO say like before like your INS serious degradation if you lose GPS? It's like what twenty four hours says, or something like that.
1: No, no, it's it's hard to say.
0: All right, because it's going to drift. Yeah, but like the drift at X rate. Right? Yeah, but it's like over twenty four hours. There's like X rate of error, right, or is to be expected or something like that. But it can be as much as like a nautical mile an hour. Yeah.
1: Which is significant, right? Yeah. Um. But it could drift the other way, depending on if you turn a lot of left or if you turn a lot of right. Yeah. Because you know it's I mean? just a gyro. Because the gyro is. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you'll never really know, and like once you start to drift, you basically just have to assume the worst. Yeah. Now imagine that you have. We're functions. in gimbal lock. Oh, wrong movie, wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just imagine. Made it. <laughs> imagine now that you've got gimbal lock. You're flying a Ryan Firebee, or you're piloting because the. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear here, fellas, the uh, the Ryan Fireby couldn't be controlled remotely. So a dude in the back of this DC-130 is sending commands to this airplane. So it's sending its telemetry: Hey, I believe I'm at this position. I'm at that position. This is where I'm at. This is the speed I'm going. This is how my what my altitude is, etc. is being relayed back to this uh, mothership, and that mothership can tell it: Hey, change this. Go to this. Do this. Turn left this many degrees. Yada, 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 yada. All right, so like a truly remotely piloted aircraft, um, but at some point, line of sight communications has a, a limitation depending on the strength of your transmitter. Um, and so they also had the capability to fly what's essentially a uh, operational mission, as we would call it now, right? They obviously didn't have GPS points that they could go to, or particular lat longs, but what they could do is say, "Hey, head on this heading, at this speed for this long. Once you get there, execute a turn to this heading, and you know, fly this whole operational mission, right?" And then there's going to be some drift uh, as the uh, the system, the INS drifts, right? And this is essentially how it worked. Like they would launch these things, they would fly into country, and then they would turn and get out over the ocean and papa. I don't know, a parachute or something, and they'd be recovered by helicopters.
0: If or, they weren't... Uh, you if know, they weren't shot down. Face tanking an SA-2. <laughs> right, right.
1: Um, so anyway, the Sante Prison Raid uh, is the essential. Like, it's one of the, the earliest uh, operations. It basically defines modern special operations. Uh, it, it goes back to this, and the RPA, uh, or the uh, Ryan Firebee, was instrumental and capturing the first imagery uh, of that location. Now, because it drifts, you know, left and right, uh, they they probably took a couple shots at it, like trying to get the the imagery of this thing, and it failed. But they were flying enough in that region at low enough altitude with the resolution cameras that they had (laughs) that it let them know, hey, there's probably people coming. So they moved all the prisoners. (laughs) away from the Sante prison raid or from the Sante prison and when the uh, MH-53s and all of these special operators showed up there's nobody there <laughs> nevertheless um, it's interesting to see Like, so we've got Elint, a mission we still do Emmant going on Firebees also drop pamphlets all kinds of other fun stuff over Vietnam uh, as well uh, so PSYOPs hugely important and we talked... You talked very briefly. Uh, sp- or we talked... Speaking speaking of the fact that we don't want... We're trying to reduce risk. Who do you think went into uh, flying over Russia after
0: Gary Powers got shot down? Let me guess, using my great <laughs> test-taking skills. <laughs> some sort of unmanned
1: aircraft. Ryan Firebees, yep. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. So they're up there doing... Basically the same thing, trying to take pictures of all the things that Gary Powers was trying to take pictures of because it's deemed politically like, too risky right? to send another human being over there. But as we've pointed out, they are relatively uh, easy prey for early SA2s. And so the first attempts at reducing radar cross-section, i.e. stealth, Ryan Fireby unmanned airplane they put a fucking cover over the, the intake so like a grill so if you look at an F-117 you'll see the, the intakes on the engines are covered with those little grills uh, happened on a Ryan Fireby first uh, radar absorbent paint Ryan Fireby, Uh, etc so the first like active stealth program in uh, Air Force history unmanned airplanes which is pretty fucking cool and so we take this theme uh, throughout. This risk, when when the risk of a human being uh, is too much, you send it in a manned airplane, and it goes in and smashes. And that you can carry that all the way through. Like we talked about, uh, 2017 uh, over Syria, but the same thing was happening with SR-71s in like the late 60s and uh, the early 70s. Where they had a little drone buddy that Most people don't talk about very much. It's a D twenty one that would launch off the back of a an SR seventy one doing Mach three, and uh, apparently there were four successful missions over China looking at Chinese early Chinese nuclear power facilities. Now that meant that was basically just like one of the... think of it like an engine nacelle off of an SR seventy one, sure, with a couple wings on it, like mounted on top, and it would just kind of pop off and Like I said, they did four successful missions, captured some imagery uh, using the SR-71's camera system that they had mounted onto this thing. And they would dump the camera uh, via parachute, and it would float down and get captured by helicopters. Um, And then the D-21 would crash into the the ocean until uh, I think it was Richard Nixon deemed that we're not going to do that anymore because of political sensitivities and things like that with him trying to open China etc etc but <laughs> we'll talk we'll do a uh, uh, in depth discussion of China just at some terrible, point in the future right Terrible. yeah but at that time they weren't threatening right um, yeah but so shit man how cool is that it's very cool China later
0: China later <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, na- the naivete of all of that though is just uh, sure
1: Sure. So D twenty ones carries on to
0: not not the D twenty ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the <laughs> plowing
1: ahead. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Saying
1: China around Yogi gets him uh, pretty spun up. Um, dude, I think it's cool that unmanned airplanes uh, of some sort, whether it's you know at the immediate controls of a pilot or not, is it is air power. Right, and what we provide is the pilot flying these things over to satcom. So, I've had this this thought: um, What was the most important thing, or the most uh, like the greatest innovation with the MQ one and the MQ nine? What does it bring to the fight that other airplanes don't? And we say long endurance and all this other goofy shit. No, it's the network. It's the the satcom. It is the distribution systems uh, that push this video everywhere all at any given time that is the single biggest like force multiplier effect that's available it can make decisions happen um, 10 times faster 100 times faster than they used to be able to
0: do that thing right Like so, you just pump that feed direct and ground force commanders are just like getting the raw data and making like a Let's call it like a real-time decision about Correct. shit, you know? Correct. And that's what makes unmanned airplanes, modern unmanned
1: airplanes, or remotely piloted aircraft, uh, powerful. Um,
0: the AOC, like we talk about this 72-hour... Yeah, hour, then, you add, then you add the other shit on top of that. You're talking about something that's crazy and powerful. Well, let's... So, uh, Colonel Callahan, Squeeze Callahan,
1: uh, one of his, his SAS paper talks about how do we so what the mq9 brings to the fight is the fact that it is isr and it is strike in a traditional 72-hour planning cycle the you find it with an isr asset an rc-135 a j-stars a whatever the fuck you got a u2 right and then that intel comes back to the aoc it goes to the intelligence team and they say oh this is all super important and this looks good and if we strike this thing this is going to be the effect and then so then they nominate all of these targets and then they eventually get selected uh, to be attacked that goes to the uh, combat plans division Um, and then they Decide what type of asset is actually going to go strike the thing right and this like I said, this is all in a 72 hour cycle The AOC is fundamentally built around this concept of these airplanes do this thing and these other airplanes do this thing. So we need some time in the middle to be able to stitch the information that came from this one into a cohesive strike plan that's gonna you know, result in lopping off the, uh, the head of the enemy or the leadership, right? The RPA bridges that gap between those two. And I can do that planning like, hey, I gotta go out and I gotta find this, I gotta find this, I gotta find this Hope oh, we found it, alright, let's look at it for a little bit Are we sure that's the thing? Alright, boom, fucking blow it up Same day, right? It doesn't need a 72 hour planning cycle It doesn't need a, a bunch of intel nerds back at the AOC Nothing um, And so the AOC The Air Operations Center or The one I'm thinking of specifically, the 609th AOC Is not that good at controlling missions for RPAs. It's, it's based on an old fundamental model. Or the it's, it's fundamental basis is yeah, an old model, right? State. Correct. Um the people who
0: find shit find shit to blow up, go blow up the shit, right? To Correct.
1: Yeah. yeah. And there's a fucking wall between them, right? Yeah, you've yeah. got the 2 and you've got the 3. Not
0: something that can just dance on either side of that. Wall. Yeah,
1: we're at 2.5, right? We're, we're smack in the middle of the 2. Doing both jobs, right? Um, but the people who were like the, the most fun to work for were special ops.
0: Because okay,
1: because they didn't fuck around. All their people were in the same room, on the same floor. Yeah. And like the guy who made the decision slept in a his his office slash bedroom was, you know, just down the hall. So they needed to wake him up in the middle of the night to authorize a strike. Like they could go do that.
0: You talking about like? A, I'm talking about the jocks. Yeah, is, yeah, that we work for. Correct. Yeah,
1: correct. They were they were incredible. They were the best people to work for because pretty they much all we work for. Be, what's that?
0: That's pretty much all we work for. Yes, well, at least in my experience.
1: Yeah, and it, like it's rangers. The that's lowest. that's because they were good.
0: Yeah, like rangers at the lowest. And they knew how
1: to employ us, and the AOCs really did not. And anytime that you got tasked to go to an AOC, it was kind of a shit show. Oh, okay.
0: Right. Um, you have more experience with
1: that. So we we, we have been trying to fight that uh as a community. So we're bringing all of these mission sets together. Like unmanned airplanes have created and done all the stuff that all these other airplanes do. They've done strike, operation Aphrodite, they've done uh I mean all the way back to the Kettering Bug and the Sperry, the Hewitt Sperry automatic airplane. Um, not that those two were very successful, or that Operation Aphrodite was successful, but that was all. Let's go blow some shit up, right? With 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 airplanes with nobody in them. Then we go to all the the information gathering. So after after those two wars, right? Everything after that has been largely information based, like sure, limited war, uh, and so we've got to have like certainty that this is the target that we want to hit. You know, yada yada yada. Vietnam kind of a little less so, we kinda of blew up a lot of shit in Vietnam, basically said anything north of that line is probably fair game. Uh, but subsequently everything has been relatively limited, uh, save for uh for One. Where we just basically wreck shot. Sure. Um, and unmanned airplanes have been a common through line throughout that entire thing. And I think a lot of that is lost, and so the modern air, the modern MQ nine or MQ one MQ nine, and its you know subsequent brethren that haven't come out from behind their green doors yet, have uh, a very long history and a long, a, lo- a long storyline uh, to the beginning of aviation, right? Um, which I think is really incredible and is not talked about. Like kids and students that come here to this this course that we instruct at, they don't know any of this shit. What is being talked about on the Lost Link podcast. <laughs> yeah, so meta statement of the night. Um, and that needs that story needs to be shared more frequently, more often. Uh, if you if you really want to like give people a place in their like to feel a sense of place and a sense of purpose and a sense of history in unmanned airplanes you need to talk about all of these things like it, it just needs to be imbued into the community right um, you've walked down that hall towards the upsell yeah. here at Holloman and you've seen those posters up on the wall yeah yeah. Uh, interesting the, the current group commander that was a project of his when he was uh, 29th uh, attack squadron commander and that was about the end of it so we have this Chronological lineage of posters. There's like eight of them or something. Uh, they carry it from these radio controlled airplanes up to MQ 9s and RQ 170s. And, you know, I think it hints at something else in the, in the 2000s. Um, but that was it. That was the first time in my uh, time flying these airplanes that I got a, a bit of a history lesson. Just by walking down this hall and seeing these posters. So, you know, big ups to Colonel Beatty there for making that making that a thing. But where is the rest of it? Why is it not discussed at RPA <laughs> fundamentals course? Right? Uh or at the FTU anywhere. I dude I guarantee you the vast majority of instructors here don't have any concept of RPA history. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about the LSI Amber, or the Nat 750, or any, any of like the modern shit. They don't know about that either.
0: I mean, I think it's hard to get people excited about... It's hard to get people excited about the technology. Yeah. Like, like when it's strictly devoid of any human part to latch onto, because um, we were talking about how like traditional air power stories are kind of kind of carried by the technology but there's still that like wedge in which is like the human part of it yeah even though like the technologies might be doing most of the work in terms of making that story exciting but if it's just just raw technology right and the story is presented in the form of raw technology yep um because like i don't think we dropped a single name during the Firebee no. part, right? No, we didn't. Uh, and, like, we only kind of... <laughs> an incidental name got dropped during the Operation Aphrodite, right? But we were talking, like, engineers about a project, right? Right. Um, it's hard to get, you know, the Jimmys and the Joes excited about, uh, you know, a, a fucking hunk of metal at the end of the day, right? And Even weird. though it did cool stuff and it did all this shit, right? Uh, um. With like a lot of really cool implications, which uh, I didn't even know that much about the Firebee, and I, I think it was pretty damn cool what you There, there, there are other stories um,
1: of uh, dudes, so they launched these things out of Point Magoo, so the, like years ago, right? These Ryan Firebees. Uh, and there's at least one story of them outmaneuvering uh, another fighter pilot saying that he was trying to come get, like, he's like, I can shoot that thing down. Yeah. So there's a guy in a DC 130 up there just pulling like six and seven g's with his ryan Firebee. I mean he's not pulling it the bear is pulling it right uh and just constantly like out maneuvering this f4 or whatever was trying to shoot it down but it's not but i don't know that guy's name so
0: well and it's not it's not thrilling in the same way right like that guy launching or flying in the same way like it's not as sexy look. Like yep. we like our we like our knights in the air metaphor. Yes, we do. Right? Like, uh, like we love that shit. We're addicted to it. That's why sci-fi is all based off that. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, anything the where... The Expanse. If you yeah, guys aren't anyth- watching The anyth- Expanse, anything, you're wrong. anything where people are doing in a sci-fi where someone is flying a spacecraft in some sort of space dogfight, right? Or they're Yep. driving around spaceships like <laughs> that are meant to be like naval equivalents, right? Yep. Uh, that's all just a callback to that World War II dynamic of knights in the air and like perpetuating the fantasy that that's going to continue, right? We eat that shit up. Yeah, but that's that's really what the conceit of that sci-fi is. And is that not only did it happen in the past, but it will continue to be this way. Right, which we know it won't be but like that's the fantasy of that fiction right yeah. of, of that of that science fiction um,
1: I mean that's basically my premise from the whole last episode right is that RPAs have a fundamental problem in that there's nobody and it's harder to tie the stories to a human nexus right it's always a technological story and this is why the fighter pilots always have kind of like a one up on us. Yes.
0: I guess my point from the last podcast was that it's not as human as we think it is. Even those more human ones, yeah. yeah, like they're still like pretty damn dependent on the technology for us to give a shit about those stories. Even with the cool fighter pilot or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but without that in at all, mm-hmm. it's like super like right. Like it's fun to talk about, but in the abstract which i think we just did fairly successfully but if i'm a person in the organization i'm a human being in this organization yep (laughs) right what is my role as a human being in this non-human world and it starts to get look kind of bleak you know yeah or like not just be exciting right and I think we should know about that guy's name in the dc 130 right or we could right or yeah. we could tell stories about the mq1 and the mq9 like that and capture some of that stuff uh especially for like close air support and different missions that were done and yeah the individuals making the decisions or you know running the raid or the stack right as an air warden or whatever right um I think you would and not get lost, not get lost in the technology as much. I think
1: I think what you would need is for some RPA pilot in his cockpit somewhere to go off script, disregard what the AOC is telling him, put his fucking wings on the line, and say, "Nope, I am fucking doing this thing because this needs to be done." Right? And are you? Who's going to end up in a situation that's quite like that? I don't know. Yeah. But it it would have to be big. And then and really the story you're telling then is the story of defiance. Yeah. The RPA is incidental to that story. Yeah. It could still be interesting.
0: Yeah. The work is good. I think for me the real salient point here is that what I what I'm really taking out of this is that this has been no shit happening for almost for almost as long as air power has existed. Yeah, unmanned airplanes. this has been happening. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you it's want to be a reductionist, re- it's been recognized <laughs> as legitimate. If you want to be reductionist about it, what is a cannonball? <laughs> let's not be that reductionist we can be reductionist about everything what's a bullet yeah i actually was thinking about that i was actually thinking about that before we started i was like am i gonna throw this at moff but um i decided not to fuck with you too much but uh you know you just can do it yourself the um um the uh yeah it's like are we controlling the bullet you know or whatever like uh but the um yeah and this, i don't know the whole stories thing it's important i think by having a better sense of what rpas have done in the past with the firebee i mean as a good example that, with all the different myriad ways that you you detail and the d21 and the rq ones and the yes all all of the things yes but like I just one example there, like with all the, because Vietnam's cool, from like inner power point of view, right? People like to talk about that. And the F four is a cool plane, an iconic plane. F one hundred and five. Yeah, yeah, the Thunderchief, the, the thud.
1: There's a there's a great book about the F one hundred and five, which was the uh, Thunderchief. It's the same same no. airplane. They call it. Well, they you, call it the you thud tried, cra- because of the sound that it makes when it crashes. <laughs> Because they got shot down a
0: lot. Yeah. <laughs> but... By saying that there, there were strong accomplishments in the past, right? And that there is a connection to the, the dawning of air power with unmanned air power, right? We're not as alienated from that history, right? And right. siloed out from that history and feeling like we're... Uh, in some ways, like cloistered or put being treated pejoratively, we this, right? we uh,
1: the Air Force tends to treat this like RPAs are this new thing.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean, right? right. But like you can you can you can strengthen that connection, and then in a more full throated way, talk about what we're doing, right? Yeah, uh, and you can talk about i don't know if it needs to be that grand story of defiance i i think there's plenty of cool stuff that i can't even think about from the twentieth sock in terms of the human elements or just even like a fucking sitcom of like sock life in an rpa squadron we we need to find like that could be that could be i mean because there's just a lot of fucking bullshit and like recurring characters right and and things that could happen you could have mash with the rpa uh, sock right you like, could or, or even like you know, and maybe, uh, maybe it's a six episode uh, like
1: catch 22 type of thing yeah but like
0: <laughs> you could
1: major 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 major
0: not painting the rpa as the other but that it's it's a part of aviation and always has been and, it, and a progression and in fact the natural immediate progression of what aviation is, yeah, from like uh, that, that are you talking it, about from like where we are now, or no, just since its inception? Yeah, yeah, okay. Like it, it always has been the um, recognized as the immediate progression of air I power. You. Right, was to okay, we can do this with man, guys. The immediate thought people had was like, okay, let's just do it without them now, right? And it's yeah. been a part of that thought process from the beginning, strengthening that connection makes it easier to de deotherize ourselves, destigmatize ourselves yeah. and easier to talk about our our stuff in general in a way that can ultimately help create that thriving culture and that sense of pride that we need actually as yeah, much as absolutely. the fighter guys need. Yeah, and the air force needs like yeah. cuz that I mean
1: I I think you and I agree this is it, absolutely the future of aviation,
0: right? As I've stated, the... you well, know, people need to be able to operate these things from a place of pride, um, and ownership. And, but you have to have you have to belong to something that's worthy of that investment. Yeah. And I think you can help destigmatize it as being unworthy of that investment and make it, in you know, a more positive sense, more worthy of it by. Helping paint this picture, yeah. Because by having that that story, and
1: that through line, that it ties you to a uh, a longer history and gives you a sense of place and a sense of purpose, and that you are not this you know kid in a flight suit trying to like make something new happen at all, right? It gives you it gives you pride in the history of what's happening, and it allows you to say, all right, I don't give a fuck what you think, fighters, like. Bombers, whatever—all you guys that fly these other airplanes, like—I belong it's to unimportant. be here.
0: I belong to be here as much as you do.
1: Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um. Awesome, man. Yo, uh, I think we beat this one to uh, to a pulp, uh, a bit. So let's, uh, it's plummy, plummy. <laughs> so let's, uh,
0: bruised appetite. Let's wrap this one up here. Um. So See ya. Yeah. know that as you saw me go, I was singing this
1: song. We meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know.